Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. With so many contentious issues pulling people in different directions, how should organizations respond? What are leaders to do? Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Scott Williams, President and CEO of Discovery Park of America in Union City, Tennessee. He talks of his early work experiences where leaders corrected and guided him, thinking of job interviews as an actual dialogue to see if you are a good fit for them and if they are a good fit for you, the wisdom of Davy Crockett for the workplace today, and the belief that diversity is a strength, even in our tough and divisive political landscape. Scott has served as president and COO of the museum in Washington, D.C., as well as a variety of positions at several advertising agencies and other organizations, including Surface Master, Inc., Baptist Memorial Healthcare, and Elvis Presley Enterprises. Scott earned his degree in journalism from the University of Memphis. Scott's third book, The Accidental Fame and Lack of Fortune of West Tennessee's Davy Crockett, was published in 2021. He is also the author of An Odd Book, How the First Modern Pop Culture Reporter Conquered New York, and The Forgotten Adventures of Richard Halliburton, A High-Flying Life from Tennessee to Timbuktu. Good morning, Scott. So nice to have you on Conflict Managed. Good morning. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Let's just go ahead and begin. And will you tell us a little bit about your work history? Sure, absolutely. So um, my very first job was serving food at the church that I went to. Um, I worked in the kitchen on Wednesday nights, learning how to uh, serve large numbers of people from uh, Mrs. Uh, Vestal. And uh, that was a lot of fun uh, from there. Um, I was sitting in a class in high school and they passed around a piece of paper that said, um, check what you're most interested in. And at the time, you know, 10th grade boy, I wanted to be an ambulance driver. You know, there was a TV show on at the time, you know, called emergency that, that seemed really cool. And so I checked, you know, healthcare and, and I checked a few more boxes and went to a meeting and somehow I ended up in health occupations education. And so my junior and senior years, um, I worked in the healthcare industry uh, most of my, the summer between my sophomore and junior year, and then all of my junior year, I worked in a nursing home. Um, I worked on the men's wing and, and, you know, I was able to work uh, three to 11. So I made a whole lot of money as a young person and then, uh, switched over to the hospital, the local hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, where I was, um, a physical therapy transporter and got to do a little bit of physical therapy aid work. Um, but both in both the, nursing home and the hospital, I gravitated towards working for the people that were in marketing, PR, advertising, sales, communications, you know, and even, you know, things like decorating the bulletin board or designing an ad or, you know, things like that um, just kind of came naturally. So um, uh, when I got out of um, college uh, or out of high school, I ended up going to college and changed majors about 10 times and <laughs> ended up in journalism with a concentration in advertising. Um, and, you know, that set me off on a path of a lot of different companies, uh, working my way up in various positions until eventually I landed at Baptist Memorial Healthcare, 
where I worked in uh, marketing and PR with uh, learned a whole lot from that and then uh, landed at Elvis Presley Enterprises. And so I was there working for the King at Graceland for 12 years. I did a lot of really fun uh, projects there. Uh, learned a lot about management and and uh, just had a had a ball, as anybody can imagine, working for uh, Elvis would be. Um, and then uh, moved to Washington, D.C. and worked at the museum uh, there and then got to come here and and work with the team here at Discovery Park of America. Wonderful. What an interesting career path. So many different uh, opportunities. And I'm sure you've seen a lot and a lot of management styles, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, so in your history of working, what about, let's talk about some of your earlier experiences, because we're so formative of those first jobs that we have. Um, what's the best experience you had working as a young person? You know, as I look back, um, I think some of the best experiences um, were possibly didn't feel like they were great at the time, but the best experiences really were when when leadership leadership helped me course correct. So, you know, I remember one place I worked. Um, you know, I thought I was um, I thought I was paying attention, but I was I also side note i also at the back then was a, a cartoonist and so I, I did a lot of drawing and um you know i was just doodling on my notepad while i was listening and when the meeting was over the um person leading the meeting said hey scott could you stick behind and i said sure you know of course i thought i was about to get a really great assignment you know that i needed to do um, and the person said you know hey listen when you doodle while we're talking in a meeting it distracts um, everyone, and it makes it appear as though you are not paying attention. And so, I, you know, at first I was, you know, a little bit offended and, oh my goodness, what, what does that person mean? And, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, he's really right. Um, and so from then on in meetings, what I started doing was just no matter what, I look at whoever's talking. And when you start doing that, you really do notice how few people actually look up when you're in a room of people and, you know, I, people may be looking down at their paper or looking at their fingernails or looking out the window and listening, but it certainly doesn't send that message. So I really try to pay attention. And what I've found through the years is when you're the one who's looking around in a meeting, then the other, the person who's talking ends up looking at you. And so you really end up um, improving the communication um, that's going on in the room by doing that. So just little things like that. Um, I can think of other bosses who've uh, provided, um, you know, just basic guidance. Uh, I, I had a boss one time who said, I need to speak with you. And I went into his office and he said, hey, anytime I say I need to speak with you in my office, you bring a pad and you bring a pencil. And so that was another, you know, really great lesson. So I've just had a lot of people that really just guided and poured into me through the years. And um, I could probably sit down and make a list of a hundred if I really thought about it, but, you know, just, but then simultaneously, I think I also learned a lot from people who um, didn't choose to do very, to exhibit very strong leadership skills, people who kind of went the other direction, uh, people who were a little too emotional, um, you know, things like that. So I saw a lot of uh, bad as well and learned a lot of what not to do. 
You know, I think it's interesting um, when I asked you about a good experience and you talk about being corrected and it is so true. I mean, at the moment, it feels like we get defensive, like, what do you mean? Or, you know, I was paying attention. We automatically, most of us just want to defend ourselves. But if we can put that on pause and listen, being invested in, um, I mean, it feels good to have praise, but being invested in lasts in such a long way. And it's meaningful. What that means that somebody is looking at us and sees something in us enough to say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but this is what you need to be doing. And we don't know what we don't know. I hear a lot of people, when I talk to organizations, um, some people are frustrated with young workers. And I think what a lost opportunity. Uh, we don't know, all of us don't know what we don't know, even now, but when we're starting out, instead of people saying, oh, millennials or oh, whatever, looking at these opportunities to pour into and invest in, just like was done to us and how much better off we are as workers, as people, when people point things out that we just didn't know. Yeah. And it's, you know what, it's as a leader in an organization, it is so easy to get focused on doing the work yourself that you're trying to do. And you forget, you know, to pull back and focus on the team and help coach and help lead. And so that's, it's really something I have to try to remind myself, especially I love the work that I do. I'm very blessed. And so, you know, I, you know, if I'm, you know, if I don't tell anybody, but I would probably do this for free, you know, just because <laughs> I love it so much. And so I've been very fortunate and very blessed all my jobs, you know, that, that I've had, that I've been at for a while, I've actually loved. Um, and some of that is because when I didn't love it, I left. And, you know, that's what I tell my kids. If, you know, if you don't love it, leave, find something you do love because yes, you know, man, we do this, you know, I, I, I know, um, I've had young people right out of college work and they go, do you guys do this? Like, every day, you know, we're, we're here, you know, if you're working, you know, an eight to five job, you're here a long time, you know, and you're we're with these people that you work with. So if you're not loving it, leave it, find something you do love. So I've been very blessed that, that I've had jobs that I love. And so, you know, it is important for me to every once in a while, stop and assess what's going on around me. Absolutely. So how do you do that? I mean, it's so easy to get distracted. You have such a big job. You're the CEO of Discovery Park of America. It's a big job. And you've got a lot of demands on your time. So how, how do you, what kind of mechanisms do you have in place to kind of stop and look around? Yeah, well, we, um, you know, first of all, incredible team. That's the first thing that's really great is, you know, we have such a strong team here at Discovery Park. Um, I attribute that to, you know, Mr. Rippy, who, uh, Jim Rippy, who is the, uh, first uh, president. Um, he did a fantastic job of hiring people that, you know, are smart and passionate. And so I think that's the first thing, um, is to start with really talented people, which I'm very lucky, but then have a culture where everybody knows, Hey, it's not a bad thing. If we interject with each other, if we say, Hey, I'm seeing this, this seems odd. Could we do it this way? You know, so that it's not just me 
it's everybody with each other. And so, you know, even in orientation, I do a big, the first chunk of orientation, you know, and that's part of, that's part of orientation is training people to communicate how they feel. Oftentimes, you know, especially in the South, we are very polite to each other. You know, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We're, we're non, uh, I'm using air quotes, non-confrontational, you know, so we just keep things bottled up. So in orientation, we start people off saying, use your words. You know, if you're uncomfortable, if you see an idea that we should experiment with, you know, if you, you know, use your words, no matter who you're talking to, peer, you know, someone you manage, someone who manage you, use your words. And so, um, you know, we, you, we have what we sometimes, um, call, um, potentially uncomfortable conversations and people will come in and say, Hey, I'm going to have a, you know, a comfortable conversation, you know? And so you, you learn that when, when someone says that to you, you stop and listen, you know, first of all, and you keep an open mind, you hear and you don't talk. And so we do all this, that kind of work so that we have a culture where people can interact with each other, pour into each other. Um, and then I can do that as well. Um, and so I can say to somebody, Hey, what's a better way to do this? You know, or how could we better serve our guests, um, in this area? Um, so it's not just me coaching and it's people coaching me, you know, I absolutely have to be willing to, and am, and do, you know, have people come in my office and say, Hey, look, this seems odd, you know, could you do this better? You know? And so, um, I think, I think number one is, is the people that you hire. And then number two is setting a culture, um, and a precedence for people being able to, to course correct each other as we drive this giant ship through the water. Yeah, I, I, that's the one thing that I'm about in my business is helping other businesses train, empower, and expect people to have difficult conversations. And when you set up that culture, then it isn't just the person at the top telling, you know, then you're like the principal calling people in. But when everybody takes that kind of leadership, you know, we, we talk a lot about engagement. Engagement, that's in the good and when I see a potential problem. And sometimes I think something's a problem because I don't have enough information, which is a different kind of problem. But when you have a culture that encourages people to be engaged and to see the good, the bad, what we can improve on, uh, what is going really well and to capitalize on, it's um, effusive and it helps everyone really pay attention as in their organization and take ownership. That's wonderful. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, as we have seen in the you know, past five years, you know, with everything that's gone on with the Me Too movement and, and all that, you know, the most vulnerable of our workforce are those young people that come in here who've never worked anywhere. They don't have any way of knowing what is normal, you know, what is acceptable, you know. And so, you know, as part of our orientation, that's what we talk about is here's what you do. If you're uncomfortable in any way, do not hold it in and come and talk to HR, talk to your manager, talk to me, you know, my door's always open. And so we have a culture where everybody knows that we're all going to use our words. And so, you know, everybody needs to treat each other. Um, and that, that's another thing that I think is important. Everybody needs to treat each other the way that person wants to be treated, not the way we want to be treated. You know, if, if we have a situation, we call somebody in to talk to them and say, Hey, this went wrong. 
this person wasn't comfortable with that, you know, nine times out of 10, the answer is going to be, well, I was just joking. And so part of orientation is you were not hired for your comedic abilities. So we don't need a lot of joking, you know, um, you know, where it's a fun place to work, but think about how you're treating what you're saying. How are the other people around you hearing that? You know, and and use words, treat other people the way they want to be treated, you know, and I think that's so important, too, as a culture is to all have uh, mutual respect and to have these young people that are coming here. You know, as you know, we have a proximity to UT Martin, and so we have a lot of college students that work here that, that we know or they're just passing through. They're not going to be here forever. They may be here six months. They may be here a year. They could be here five years. I mean, they a lot of our leadership team is from UT Martin, you know, they're graduates. So they may be here 20 years, but, um, you know, we want to make sure that the experience from the very beginning to the very end, they learn, Hey, this is what is acceptable in the workplace. And this is what is not acceptable. Yeah. That's so important to start off as it is. You want to go right. Tell people what the expectations are and what their resources are. I happen to have read your employee manual and the very first page is so employee centric. It's just beautiful. After I read it, I was like, oh, I want every organization to take this seriously because if you treat your people with dignity and respect, if you want to help your people to grow and flourish, it seems to me like this is business 101. It's like, do you want to keep your business open? Do you want to satisfy your customers? Invest in your people. Treat them as individual humans with dignity and worth. And when you do that, it is time consuming. It just is. But you get it back in spades, right? Not only is it Absolutely. right, it, it's, it's good for the business. And also, you know, every, every place I've worked, no matter where it is, is not for every worker. You mm -hmm. know, it's really important that um, people find a place that they appreciate the culture, that they, you know, like the norms in that organization, that they connect with the mission. You know, if somebody comes to work here, there are jobs that pay more, you know. And so, you know, you can make more money, but, um, you know, if you're passionate about the mission that we have here, that's the other thing that's really important. You know, once we have a culture that where people can thrive if they choose to, they have to decide for themselves, is this a place where I want to thrive long term? You know, um, our mission for anybody listening who doesn't know is to inspire children and adults to see beyond, meaning wherever you are in life. Um, if you come to our museum and heritage park, no matter how smart you are, no matter how educated, you know, no matter who you are, you are going to find something in this experience that will inspire you. And so our goal is for you to go home and get a book about a subject or look online and find more information. This is an inspirational experience coming here. And so if people have have um, embraced that mission who work here, they're going to love working here. But it isn't for everybody. You know, everybody can find a mission somewhere out there in the universe. And so that's the other thing is, is helping, you know, uh, people often will come to me and say, I'm, you know, I'm thinking it might be time for me to find something else. I'm starting to get bored or, you know, I've risen to the channel. I'm all about, hey, let me help you. I love helping people find jobs. And so, you know, we want people working here, happy, fulfilled, uh, communicating. But the, a time may come 
when they need to move on and do something else. And so, you know, I think supporting that as well. That's a really good point. I hope that all of the listeners here hear is that when you look at the mission, every corporation is not going to be for you. Just like, you know, when we think about diversity, sometimes we're so narrow in what we think is just what someone looks like or how they identify or their political or religious beliefs. But there's also diversity of interest, diversity of passion. Um, I love animals, and I'm so glad that people work at animal shelters. So thankful for that work. But that's not something that I want to be doing. I think it's very valuable, but it's, it's not for me. And so I don't see myself in that environment where other people, you know, um, maybe they're passionate about fashion or they're passionate about and finding that organization so that uh, it helps you, I think, once you look at the culture, but if you are for the mission of the organization, how you're going to see yourself and how you're going to fit, I think it's going to increase not only your workplace satisfaction, but your productivity and your work-life balance, all the things, these things can fall into place. I think that's really important to think about. Sometimes we're at an organization and we feel stuck and we think, well, it's just a job. Well, okay. What is the job about? And maybe this isn't for you. There are other opportunities. Yeah, I once um, had a job that I really liked, but I just liked it. Um, I interviewed at a place, and I really thought I would enjoy the mission. I would enjoy the work, but the payroll, the salary wasn't really enough, and so I didn't take that job. I took another job instead that was a disaster and lasted about a week before I just quit you know, and ran for the hills. And so I went back to that other job that paid less and said, I suddenly find myself in the market for, you know, a job. and I got that job and it ended up being, you know, an incredible experience um, that really changed a lot about my career. Um, it was uh, this good job was with Service Master Corporation, um, and they're very much about training. They're very much about service. Um, that's sort of the base of everything they do. And so I just learned a lot from that job, even though I didn't make as much money as the job that I fled from. I'm so grateful um, that it happened the way it happened. And, you know, at that job is where I learned about using people like yourself, you know, who come in organizations and teach a variety of topics or, you know, from that job is where I went out to take, um, uh, you know, training for organizations that, that treat you, that teach you about service and customers and things like that. So anyway, it, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always good to be open-minded about where you're going to be next. And sometimes it's okay to make a little less money than you were making in order to have a uh, fulfilling uh, work life. I agree. Absolutely. So what happened at that week job? How did that fall apart? So I, I think a variety of things, I think I might've oversold myself and that's another lesson I learned. You know, I was very confident and, uh, but I needed more training than they were willing or than they needed for me to have. They needed somebody who could come in and know, for example, all these computer programs that, you know, I could have learned and later did, but 
um, they weren't willing for me to learn on their dime. And so there, there was miscommunication in the level of skill that I had versus what they needed. And I think there was a uh, personality uh, clash between uh, myself and uh, the owner. I think the owner of the organization didn't do enough due diligence um, and uh, had some expectations that to me, quite frankly, didn't make sense. And so, you know, I just struggled from day one. Um, and by day five, it was clear that it was not going to be successful. And so rather than just hang on, I just quit without a job, you know? So, you know, that's not something I advise anyone to do. Um, I advise people to get a job. It's easier, they say, to get a job when you have a job. But in this particular case, everything worked out. But, uh, you know, so from that, you know, from then on, whenever I would go into job interviews, now whether this makes any sense or not, I don't know. But, um, you know, people would say, why should we hire you for this job? My answer has always been since that time, you know what, I don't know that you should. You know, what I'm doing here is to share with you who I am and what I'm about and what my skills are. And then you share with me what your needs are and what your culture is. And let's figure out together if this is a place where I can meet your needs. Because the last thing either of us wants is to waste our time. And so for me, that has always been um, been uh, helpful um, because the last thing I've ever wanted to do since that time was get into another bad situation like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, a blessing in disguise where it's clear you're not, the, that's not the place. Many times we're just not sure. Can we make it work? Is there something else we can do? And we just sort of, like you said, hang on. But if we can have a vision and we say, no, this is just not the place for me. This culture, this work is not what I want to be about. And hiring people. Um, it's hard. Hiring people is hard. And, you know, you, because everybody's putting forth their best, you know, their best efforts. And you talk to people who are there, um, you know, you talk to people who are their references who nobody, I mean, I've probably spoken at this point to a thousand references of, of people and no one's ever said anything bad about, about them. Otherwise they wouldn't be listed as references. And so, um, you know, you do the best you can using those tools and, you know, at the end of the day, you go with your gut, um, but it, it's a challenge. And so, you know, I appreciate it when somebody says, you know, look, I don't know how to do this part of the job. I can learn, you know, as opposed to them trying to convince me, you know, it's uh, it's it's better for everyone involved if we just figure out if it's a good fit. That's why communication from the very beginning is so important, because, as you mentioned, it costs a lot of money to hire someone. Uh, and there's all this time involved and people involved. And when you hire them, you know, if you've already started with clear communication, which starts with the organization as precisely what is this role, a good solid job description that has the really does have the outline. So the person can know what they're getting into and that you can, um, the company can clearly communicate and then a robust onboarding process. It eludes me why many organizations don't take that seriously. It's like, we've got a warm body. We've got someone to fill this role. We've done our job. But if we want that person to be successful and we want that person to um, 
do the best they can from really from day one, it's on the company to bring that person on and train them properly in the culture and what they're going to be doing. Yeah. And I mean, I really think a lot of times the best place for that to start happening is on wherever, whatever kind of business it is, wherever the customers hit first. So for us, it'd be the ticket counter, the very talented docents that we have. You know, those are the folks that are dealing with the people in the cafe, our security team. So we really like to get people in there. If they're not already working in that area, get them in a company shirt with a company badge, greeting guests. You know, it's very frustrating for folks who in the museum business, for folks who are working as a docent or at, at the ticket counter, for people who have never done that job before to be making decisions that impact them. So it's really important for us to get people there working with our guests to, to learn. Um, you know, we have uh, policies here uh, that we teach everybody when they first start. You know, if you're within 10 feet of a customer, you make eye contact and smile. If you're within five feet, you uh, acknowledge their presence and perhaps ask a leading question. And so, you know, until you've actually been out there on the floor and done that, you know, it's difficult to talk about. We, we learn by doing. Yeah, it's one thing to read it. And I think it is important to have clear things that we can fall back on, but it is that the learning is in the doing. Yeah, 100%. So I have a historical question for you. Uh, you wrote a book not too long ago about Davy Crockett. What's the full name of your, of your book? It's The Accidental Fame and Lack of Fortune of West Tennessee's David Crockett. So if David Crockett was in um, the workforce today, uh, what kind of wisdom do you think he would have to share about good practices and treating people well? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I would have to say David Crockett was an advocate for people who were less fortunate. He really got behind those who were uh, black, uh, Native American, women, squatters, and he really advocated for them. And so I think David Crockett would be a great leader in organizations because he would really create a culture where everybody could succeed, you know, and he would really advocate for those who maybe um, in the past had been unable to advocate for themselves in the culture that we had. And so that I think is a takeaway. And the other thing about David Crockett that I think would have made him a good leader in any organization is his sense of humor. Um, everybody is in agreement, you know, everybody disagrees about different things about different people. And you read all different kinds of books when I was doing the research on David Crockett, but everybody agreed he was funny. He's one of the funniest guys, uh, had a great sense of humor. And I think at a place, especially like a place like Discovery Park, where part of our mission is to be fun, is to provide you know, education through entertainment. So I think someone like David Crockett, who, you know, always found a way to laugh at things and to laugh at himself, you know, I think um, having fun and uh, being entertaining would be a big part of his leadership style as well. It's so great to think about people in the past and what they have to tell us today. And many times, um, I suppose it's very easy to think, oh, we're so progressive and uh, we are better than the people who lived before us. And I mean, I think we make progress in some ways and we regress in others, but thinking about making space for people who don't have voices 
I know you have a diverse workforce and these past couple of years, politics, things in the news. Um, this is, we're talking right after the Roe v. Wade decision um, was struck down. And I, I don't have any desire to talk about politics, but how, how do you manage when something, um, something very volatile happens and you have people from all different kinds of perspectives? How do you help your workforce stay on mission and be civil and kind to each other? Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I think that starts with each and every one of us as individuals. Of course, uh, we're human beings and we cannot just turn a switch, you know, when we get to work and become robots and you wouldn't want that anyway. Um, I think it goes back to uh, respect. You know, as you know, I came from uh, the museum in Washington, D.C. Most recently is where I worked. And, you know, our mission there was to celebrate the five freedoms of the First Amendment. Um, and so that was, of course, obviously a very political place to work. But people making decisions for an organization that come from a variety of faiths, from a variety of races, from a variety of uh, political beliefs, I think is a strength. You know, we want to hear not necessarily um, about why they believe in a particular issue or not, but those things inform who they are and what they're about. And so personally, I just think it's super important that our team, especially our leadership team, be aware of what's going on, all the things that you just talked about. Um, so we share articles about, you know, what happens in the workplace. You know, we just got through a huge era where it was to mask or not to mask, you know. And so, um, you know, some people still wear masks. Some people don't wear masks. So, you know, we follow the guidelines of, you know, the government that we're given, and then it's up to the individuals. And so it also goes back to respect. So we, we want people to be engaged in their community in a political way. We want to celebrate the fact that we get to do that, the fact that we get to vote for who's in office, but in a respectful way. And so, you know, I think if we had somebody who was in here really in our workplace, really championing in a angry way, a particular belief or a cause of any kind, you know, we would have to pull them aside and say, Hey, you know, that's not really the direction that we want to go as a culture. Um, but on the flip side, everybody needs to be engaged and aware and they need to be using the rights that we do have in order to engage with the government. Yeah, I, I love the way that you phrase that, thinking about that one of the, the great opportunities we have in this country is dissent, that we get to engage. And um, so I taught for a long time and philosophy and thinking about big ideas and how people disagree with one another. And, you know, our, our culture is relatively uncivil. If somebody is on whatever the other side is from us, they get villainized. And I think there's a great opportunity that the modern workforce has for bringing back civility, right? If you want an organization to work, you're going to have to be civil. You're going to have to get along. You're going to have to be on teams with people and do projects and late nights and do difficult things with one another, even people from quote unquote, the other side. And we all know that 
we can villainize somebody else when we characterize them, right? We say, we make these straw man arguments that this person is whatever, but when we have to work with them and we find out their child is sick or their child just graduated or, um, you know, that they're humans and they have perspectives, it doesn't mean that we have to endorse their beliefs or perspectives, but we can see them as valuable individuals and we can engage with them in a civil way. And I just really see that the workplace, if it's healthy, right? If it's already healthy, this flourishing can have a way of informing the rest of society about how we ought to behave in public. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, um, it's important that we provide a place for individuals as often as we are here together at work it's important that we provide a place for them to be human beings, to learn and grow, to be able to exchange ideas if they want to in the break room, to go out, you know, after work and, you know, or stand in the parking lot after work and exchange ideas in a respectful way. Knock on wood, thankfully, I have not had to deal with many situations of people passionately expressing their views in the workplace to the point where other people are uncomfortable so far you know for me i've been fortunate that you know it's been it's been either healthy um healthy dialogue where people you know are discussing issues or people who just don't want to talk about it at all which is fine too you know so fortunately for me e even though we've gone through you know, a really rough years, that's never been a problem. So let's hope it stays that way. And I think that's a sign of a, you know, when you have goodwill towards somebody else, you can have a dialogue with them. But if you think that other person doesn't like you and they don't say hi to you and, you know, you gossip about them, they gossip about you, then when, if you have a political or religious or whatever difference, then you're more likely to not um, be gracious or extend charity of, if there's a misunderstanding. So insofar as we can humanize one another, we might be able to make some progress. Um, you know, the abortion one, I don't know, that's just so huge, but there are many other, um, I mean, gun rights, that's really huge, but I think we can make more progress on that if we start having real conversations with other humans instead of talking points or villains. Yeah, no, 100%. We're definitely, you know, it, it's definitely, we're going to continue as far as I can, probably in, in our lifetimes, we're going to continue this. Um, there will be two sides. And so we have to learn how to work together. If we were to let that get in the way of implementing our real mission here at Discovery Park of America, what a shame that would be. So it's really important you know, for us, you know, here at work, or just like at the grocery store or at the rotary meeting or, you know, wherever you go as an individual, no matter which of the, of the two sides of, for example, the abortion issue that you may be on, you have to be able to function, you know, in a group knowing that some people do not agree with your particular, your particular take on that issue. Right. And we've been talking a lot in the culture about, mental health. And it is important to have mental health for a variety of reasons, but when it comes to issues that you're really passionate about, 
and the abortion issue, of course, people are very passionate about that. The more coping mechanisms that we have, the more we're gonna be able to regulate our emotions and do something for good, right? Be able to act uh, instead of simply react. Now, of course, people react when events unfold and that's very uh, understandable. But if we can emotionally regulate ourselves, then we can find ways to be productive, find ways to be the change that we want uh, in a way that uplifts individuals. It doesn't degrade them, um, stamp on them, cancel them, but in a way that it's life-giving. Well, and speaking of mental health, you know, we have um, uh, Lisa Glass um, and, and Samantha. Um, Lisa and Samantha are our HR uh, folks, and they work so hard at making sure that our staff does know that there are mental health services available to them. Um, we recently had a whole week where we focused on different aspects of mental health um, for our employees. They they ended it with a whole beach day where we had uh, sand and and wind and beaches and drinks and snacks and you know so uh, little drinks with umbrellas in them that were non-alcoholic and so um, it was very uh, a very fun way to remind everybody that mental health is important you know and if you need help get help and so you know I think that's another really important aspect that um, as a leader in any organization you got to make sure people understand here's what your benefits are, you know, here's why you should take um, advantage of them. So Scott, as you look out to the future and you think about the future of the workforce and you have children um, going out into the workforce, them in the workforce, what is your vision to bring about healthy workplaces for all? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, of course, um, folks my age are, you know, looking at the way younger people today are approaching work and there's a tendency to want to say, well, in my day, um, you know, and so I think, yes, in, in my day, I had a tendency to be willing to work 75 hours a week and, you know, then go out to eat with the people I worked with and then go home and sleep and go back to work and do it all over again. I, I do think there is a tendency amongst younger people today to be looking more at work life balance and, you know, they don't, they're not as you know, they're not as interested in working 70 hours a week as I once was. And so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And so I think, you know, those of us that, that did live back then in, in the dark ages, you know, we've got to be open-minded to looking and exploring and figuring out what do, what do people want at work and, and trying to see how some of these, uh, you know, some of these ideas that young folks are bringing to the workforce can be applied. You know, I can still say, hey, look, here's the way I see it. Let me hear how you see it, you know, and then we can together uh, build um, a workforce and a workplace that helps us fulfill our, our various missions, you know, depending on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, it's absolutely the world is going to continue to change dramatically in the next decade as there are less and less people in the workforce we're going to have we're going to have to figure out new ways of working whether it's working remotely whether it's four days a week work work weeks you know there's just a lot of things we need to think about as we as we go forward you know i, I one thing in the future that everybody was talking about maybe i don't hear as much about it now but you know is working remotely you know i the thing about working remotely that drives me crazy is 
you know, I feel like a lot of what I've learned in my, in my work life has been because the person in the office next to me knew how to use Excel and I didn't, you know, and so they would show me or they would say, Hey, you know, you could, I can't tell you how many times somebody has been standing in front of someone else's computer while they're working on something. And you'll hear someone say, ah, I did not know that was a shortcut. And so, you know, I think those things are lost, you know, as well as, you know, hey, let's run grab a sandwich real quick or, you know, just aspects of work culture are being lost, you know, with remote work. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, I'm at the age now where I start to mourn the the things from the old days. So, you know, I think I will mourn the the relationships that are built around that. But, you know, who's to say that that's not, you know, you can go someplace like a WeWork place and you know uh and and work with other people that way but anyway it's uh it so to answer your question sorry i went around, i went around in a circle to answer your question i think i don't know i wish i did i think the key for an old guy like me is to be open-minded and read and watch you know people reporting on what's happening in the culture of workplaces and be willing to incorporate some of that experiment be open-minded um, that sort of thing but no matter what i can promise you it's not going to be boring <laughs> right i think that that's just really great this idea of just being open and that's one thing the pandemic we look for the silver lining this agility right? If you're not agile, if you're not willing to try, if you're not curious, if you're not asking questions and listening, you're not going to survive or you didn't make it through the pandemic or you're just really limping. And so being open to trying alternatives and that there are alternative ways that might be good, right? So what does that 18, 20, 30 year old want and why is that valuable to them? And that doesn't gonna, discount what's valuable to us. I'm going to try to strike. Well, when I was in my 20s, from my vocabulary, I'm going to try <laughs> not to say that. And yet that's valuable. That's the thing is we want all different experiences and what we like and what resonates with us. I think the problem is when we say, and that's it. It's got to be done this way because that's what I like. And that's what worked for me versus, okay, what are some other possibilities? But what you said is very important, this really thinking about what's lost and what's gained. Technology gives and it takes away. And if we don't stop to think about what was lost, then we can't make an informed decision as to whether or not the, the new is as good as or better. And that's important. Well, when, you're, when, you have, when you're doing the work that I'm in now, working you know, for a museum in Heritage Park, um, you know, working from home is really not much of an option for most people. Um, because we have to have people here because we're, you know, guest facing and it's important for, you know, and so our work for the most part has to be done here. But, you know, I, I can't imagine for for people who are running big offices with 100 people who could easily just as easily work from home as opposed to working in the office and you save all that office saving. You know, it's it's a tough decision. And I will personally look forward to seeing you know, the, the dialogue on it and the, and more of the uh, results. Cause I'm sure everybody's looking at that right now. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think it was Elon Musk who recently said everybody needs to be back at the office. And there was a lot of hullabaloo about that. So, um, you know, we'll just, we'll see where things land, but you know, I'm certainly curious to see how that impacts us. Yeah, me too. 
Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. Hey, I, it was, you know, I could just keep going all day long. It was a blast talking to you. And thank you for the work that you've done here with our team here at Discovery Park. Thank you. It was a, just a pleasure and joy to be with your team. Thank you. Thank you to Scott Williams for sharing his insights and experiences with us today on Conflict Managed. Thank you for reminding us the importance of communicating in the workplace and treating others how they want to be treated. If you would like to find Scott, his information is in the show notes, as long with links to his three books. Conflict Managed is produced and edited by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. I'm Mary Brown. Our music is by Dove Pilot. If you have any questions that you would like answered by our guests or any guests that you would like Conflict Managed to interview, please let us know. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.